You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Greg Miller. I'm an investigative foreign correspondent for the Washington Post based in London. Today, I am joined by an executive producer, as well as a producer of the Oscar-nominated documentary Navalny, uh, Maria Pevchik and Odessa Hi. Ray. Maria and Odessa, very nice to see you. How are you doing? Tired, I suppose, very traveling well. a lot, but very well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. I gather we're, we're all three of us in London, but at different locations, but it's really nice to see you and thank you for taking the time to, to speak with us today. Um, and congratulations on the on the Academy Award nomination for the film. Maria, let's just get right started right away. Uh, let me just introduce uh, you to our audience uh, in, in case they don't know. You are, in addition to being an executive producer on this film, you have led the investigations for the Anti-Corruption Foundation, an organization that was founded by Navalny. You've worked alongside him for a decade. Uh, you were with him in Siberia when he was poisoned. Can you just start by telling us how he is doing emotionally and physically, and, and, and also perhaps tell us a bit about how you were doing emotionally and physically? Uh, well, let's start um, from the most important bit, uh, from, from what's happening to Navalny at the moment. In terms of his um, physical conditions, it's um, well. I mean, it's it's it doesn't really change much over time. He has been held in a solitary confinement in a so-called punishment cell for over three months, something close to four months, um, in a little tiny cell, two by three meters big, um, a cell where you're not meant to spend more than ten or fourteen days. Uh, but the Russian prison system and the president's administration, I'm sure Putin himself came up with this very sickening system of um, rolling punishment. Um, as soon as he serves his um, 10 or 12 day sentence in solitary confinement, he gets out and he gets resentenced uh, to another um, 10 or 12 days in solitary confinement. And this goes on and on and on forever um, without stopping. Um, his life in a solitary confinement means that for the entire day he's locked up in this little concrete box. Um, he is um, not allowed to do anything really. Uh, he's only allowed to read the book, but only one book per term. And for 30 minutes a day, he has been given a pen and paper. And this is when he can respond to, to some letters that he receives. And um, apart from that, is nothing. He only has um, his um, book, his mug, and that's pretty much it. And every time, every 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 couple of days, they come up with new uh, violations of prison rules um, that Alexei commits, and that become reason uh, for keeping him in this solitary confinement indefinitely. And um, all of his charges are very much obviously trumped up. They are. Um, they have to do with the prison protocol. For example, the last charges were, were given to him for the fact that he washed his face at 20 minutes ahead of the um, schedule, not at 6 a.m., but rather like at 5.30 or something like that. Uh, we, we all understand that this is very much just a cover-up for the real crime uh, that he's committing, which is speaking um, out loud about the war and being probably 
the loudest anti-war voice from inside Russia. Um, so I wanted to, to to ask you a variation on this question, but if you'll permit me, I wanted to just read you a tiny bit from a from a, a story that we published on Navalny just about a week ago. It opens by saying that even from jail, Alexei Navalny gets more done than most people. He has announced a new media platform with nearly 1.8 million YouTube subscribers, filed more than 10 lawsuits against Russian authorities, is now the leading voice inside Russia against the war in Ukraine. But he is gaunt and painfully thin. His health is declining amid what supporters allege is harassment to and sleep deprivation. He has been sent to harsh punishment, which Maria was just telling us about, 10 times for up to 15 days, and was even forced uh, to take legal action to get winter boots. Could you talk about his condition uh, and also about the, the attention now on the documentary and how much attention, how, whether this attention is changing the political atmosphere and perhaps even changing the prospects uh, for Navalny eventually to, to be released, whether it's complicating those efforts or whether it's helping them. I mean, first of all, to comment on his health, you know, I spent many months in the Black Forest with Alexei and Maria um, as he was recovering from the poisoning and watched him get strong and um, healthy. And to have the memory of this incredibly strong person and see the photos that are surfacing in the media, it's heartbreaking, to be honest, because he has the strongest spirit of anyone I have ever known, I think. Just someone who looks at life with um, utter, like glass half full, and he makes the best of every situation. And they are obviously torturing him, and they will never break his spirit because he is literally one of the strongest people I know, but it is um, very, very disturbing. And I, of course, do hope the one of the, the purposes of the film and one of the reasons why we as a team work so hard to have the film seen um, is because we do believe that it does keep him safer. It, we do believe that keeping his name in the public sphere uh, helps to keep him alive. So that is something that we um, we work very hard to 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 do with the film. Thank you, Maria. Um, I I have seen your work and and Navalny's work for for many years now as a national security reporter and now as a foreign reporter doing investigations for the Washington Post, especially one who's been covering Russia for for quite some time. Um, and you've had a, a huge audience in Russia, across Europe, and, and, a lot, and a sizable one in the United States. Can you talk about the documentary, the release of this documentary, and how that has, has changed this, the size of the audience for your work, for the Foundation's work, and for the causes that Navalny champions? Um, I'm sure we're yet to see how much the documentary will change our audience. It is uh, very much um, 
there was a the, the new audience that might be coming to us is obviously an English speaking audience, a foreign audience that previously um, might have not, not paid attention to Russian politics, understandably, but it's 2023 and it's not quite possible today not to pay attention to what's happening in this part of the world. And Navalny, um, the documentary Navalny, uh, plays very much like a um, prequel to, um, to what's happening right now. And it explains quite well who Vladimir Putin is, uh, what he's capable of, and also who um, the uh, people that, that, that are brave and strong enough to, to oppose them. And it sends a very important message that um, Russia is not Vladimir Putin and Vladimir Putin is not Russia, that you shouldn't uh, put the, you shouldn't equate the um, you know, government with, with the people who live in the country. And um, in terms of the effect apart from the audience, um, and Jesse has, has phrased it very well, we, we do, um, we do all believe that this documentary is a mechanism to um, to keep um, Navalny alive. That this is a, some sort of life insurance, and um, the, the attention that is associated with um, with with, with um, ceremonies like um, like the Academy Awards or BAFTA, um, this this sort of um, spotlight is something that we constantly need to 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 keep. On Navalny, and um, for us, um, I'm talking not as a, a producer um, now, but as a uh, as a person who works at the Anti-Corruption Foundation. Uh, for us, of course, the, the the main task while Navalny is in prison is to to make sure that he he survives this sentence. And if we need to climb on the highest mountain and scream and shout Navalny, 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 we will be doing that. And of course. Um, um, the main um, stage, um, the main film stage in the world, which is the, the, the Oscars stage, is a very good platform for us to just keep repeating that message, to keep asking people not to forget about Navalny and um, to keep um, their focus on him, um, because we, um, we are convinced that um, not, on, not only he is a very important as an anti-war voice, but he also represents the potential future of Russia, a very different Russia to what it is now. Marie, can I just follow up very briefly on, on what you, something you, a, a phrase you used there that this functions as a, as a life insurance policy in some way. Can you tell me what you mean by that? I mean that um, we, uh, we live in a very difficult situation where um, uh, Navalny is currently in the possession of the very same people who already tried to kill him. And uh, Vladimir Putin, as, as, as we proved in our investigation together with Valenkat, um, Vladimir Putin and uh, Russian secret services have already gone for uh, an operation to poison Navalny and, and to, 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 to kill him. So our main task now is to make sure that this doesn't happen again, that they don't that they wouldn't dare to um, to repeat this um, attempt, and we are doing it by increasing uh, by increasing the cost of doing something awful uh, to Navalny. Obviously, the first attempt to 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 kill him with Novichok ended up in a huge embarrassment for Vladimir Putin personally, for the secret services of the Russian Federation. Putin had to uh, personally justify himself and lie and say that he. Uh, that uh, no one really tried to poison Navalny, whereas the whole world 
watched uh, how Navalny's poisoner confessed to Navalny over what they have done over the uh, over, over, um, he confessed over the phone. So um, and and of course public attention and attention of the world leaders, celebrities, um, film people, all sorts of people is something that increases the cost of um, making of, of attempting to kill him again. And we would like to send this message to Vladimir Putin in every possible way um, that um, killing Navalny is not an option and uh, that the cost of this decision will be tremendously high for, for his regime and he will not get away with it. Um, it's for, I imagine that many of those who are watching our, our uh, broadcast today have probably seen the documentary. If you haven't, it's, it's really stunning. It not only has footage of the moment when Navalny breaks down under, after having been poisoned while he's on a plane and his rescue and his recovery, uh, but then it goes on to to capture what Maria was just referring to in, in a fascinating, almost unprecedented investigation in which um, his killers, his would-be assassins are identified and he calls them uh, one by one and confronts them by phone and, and actually tricks one of them into startling admissions right on camera. It's a, it's a, it's an amazing thing to watch unfold. Odessa, I, can I come back to you and ask, um, so I, I would like for you to help me, help us understand um, the political dynamic around the movement and around the war in Russia, if you can. So on the, on the one hand, you have um, been lots of efforts, uh, diplomatic efforts to secure Navalny's release. Uh, there are um, petitions signed by hundreds of doctors and other professionals in Russia demanding his release and some protests. Uh, at the same time, the the protests in Russia are only a, that we that we learn about or see from here are only a fraction of the size that we saw Navalny organize before his imprisonment. What accounts for that? And what what will shape whether whether those numbers change going forward? Well, this is something that I actually ask myself quite often because for the last eight months, I've also been in and out of Ukraine quite a bit, um, working on another documentary. So I have been spending a lot of time um, on the front lines of the war. And uh, I ask myself, please, why? Why uh, are they not rising up the way that they did? Um, in the days after Alexei's return. And really the reason is because the if you watch the protests that happened after Alexei returned, you saw thousands and thousands of people being arrested. The punishment was so harsh. Um, we even lost one of our cameramen in that protest. He went to the protest with a camera and he was missing and Christo uh, and I were searching for him through the through an NGO for a couple of days before he surfaced again. And the the crackdown uh, I, I just remember was so terrible that I think they sent the fear of God into the people and continued to make punishments incredibly harsh. I mean, as 
you know, now um, there is a 10, I think between 10 and 12 year sentence for even calling the war a war. So how do you, for protesting again, uh, uh, harsh sentencing. So how do you rise up in a country where where the um, the efforts to crack down are becoming so harsh, you have to ask yourself, I think, as a human being, you know, if living in London, if you um, were facing those same challenges by going out in protest, would you go out and protest in this time? Um, um, and and uh, I think that that is a very, very challenging choice. Um, so I do I do understand what's happening, but of course we ask ourselves and we hope and we wonder what will bring down this regime that is causing so much pain um, in the world, not only in Ukraine, Ukraine in firstly and foremost, of course, but it is spreading uh, throughout the globe. So we've been talking about some of the scenes in, in the documentary itself. We want to play a short clip from the documentary now. When you come to a room of a comatose patient, you start doing, you just telling him the news, telling him his story. Alexei, don't worry. You were poisoned, there was a murder attempt. Putin tried to kill you with Novichok. And he opened his like blue eyes wide and looked at me and said very clear, tupa. Come on, poisoned? I don't believe it. Like, he's back. This is Alexei. Putin's supposed to be not so stupid to use this Novichok. His wording, his explosive, his intonation. If you want to kill someone, just shoot him. Jesus Christ. Like, real Alexei. It's impossible to believe it. It's kind of stupid. The, the whole idea of poisoning with a chemical weapon. What the f***? This is why this is so smart. Because even reasonable people, they refuse to believe, like, what? Come on, poisoned? Seriously? Maria, you, you figure prominently in some of the most compelling scenes in this documentary. Can you talk, though, about what you hope the audience takes away in terms of a message and in terms of inspiration? I think I touched upon it briefly i would like the audience to see a very very different um version of russia that is very possible at the same time um i don't like i don't like the audience i don't like your viewers to see russia as a you know, doomed place where people um enjoy dictatorship where people enjoy being um living under oppressive regime this is this is not that uh, this is not what happened what's happening and um navalny uh, in in this 98 minute the documentary plays navalny paints a, a very different picture um this picture is realistic um he explains what he would do uh once he um if uh, he, he becomes a president, how Russia will work and how it will differ from what it is now. He talks about everything from the war to the division of you know, powers between the regions and and and, and Moscow. Um, and on top of it, I, I, I just um, really hope that um, the viewers would be able to simply meet Navalny because we, those people who follow Russian politics and basically us, 
uh, we, we've known uh, him for a long time now. He has been a public figure and a very outspoken, well-known opposition leader for for a decade, I would say. And um, I, I'm, I'm, I, I was initially very excited about the fact that now the foreign audience, those people who haven't heard about him, will get to meet him, will get to meet the guy who inspires millions of Russians who um, raised um, this incredible support base um, of, of people who are willing to not only support our work at the Anti-Corruption Foundation, but also protest in, in the street, in the streets, um, this very brave and um, young people of Russia. So that's, that I believe is, um, is a very important uh, takeaway of that, um, of, of that documentary. And I recommend it to watch it once, twice and, and more times. And um, I guarantee you what you see, uh, the way you see Navalny in, in, in this film is incredibly close to what he is in, in, in real life. Um, so I encourage everybody to watch it um, and uh, hopefully enjoy and, 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 and be closer to, you know, to actually imagining um, a beautiful Russia of the future that Navalny talks about. I think, I think that his personality comes across uh, beautifully in the documentary. You really get a sense. It's, a, it's such a, a, an amazing contrast in some ways between, um, you know, his, his political adversary, Vladimir Putin and Alexei Navalny. In, in, the, in the documentary, Navalny is joking. He's using social media. He's very hip. You see him in, in images with his own family walking around. Very, very human, very, very funny. Uh, and and very moving in some places, and it's a it's a it's a sight that's um that's quite compelling. Desta, can I just ask? So we mentioned that obviously that we're doing this now because of the, uh, in part at least because of the Academy Award nomination. What does that mean to you as producer, or what does it mean to uh, the audience for this film and for the and for the movement? Well, actually, that um, what it means is just to add on to what Maria was saying, that I believe the mission of this film and the message of this film is really what uh, Navalny says at the end of the film. He says, don't give up. He says, don't give up and don't be afraid. And I think that these are very, very important messages, no matter where you are. They are universal messages, not only to fight authoritarianism in whatever form, um, is in front of you, but also in your smaller stories in your life, you know, every small challenge, do not be afraid, do not give up. He had a very, very powerful message and he stood for that. And that's the reason he went back to Russia. How can he tell a population, don't be afraid, and then does not go back and stays in comfort. So I think comfort is something that is dangerous and we should not be afraid and we should not give up no matter what story is facing us. Uh, Odessa just touched on, just sort of captured where I was headed next, um, Maria. We we asked um, our audience to submit questions, and many of them were a variation of this next one, which is, why wouldn't Navalny have been more effective as an opposition figure outside of Russia rather than in prison? Surely he knew what would happen when he returned after the attempted assassination. Uh, and especially, obviously, he, he was imprisoned before the invasion of Ukraine. Um, now the repression inside Russia is even greater. 
Could he have been more valuable outside the country, um, mobilizing opposition to the war, mobilizing opposition to Vladimir Putin? This is completely an entirely hypothetical situation which could have never happened. So we can spend many hours now trying to um, you know, draw different scenarios, discuss them and discuss the different ifs and buts and what ifs, etc. There was never a choice. Um, there was never um, um, there was never really any sort of debate about whether Navalny will go back or will, won't go back. Um, as soon as he was able to um, form formulate a sentence to say out uh, to say sentence out loud after recovering from coma, he said that he will be going home, and um, it was completely unthinkable and completely unimaginable to um, back in the day to 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 see um, Navalny staying abroad permanently and and doing his work from there. Um, it's not. It's not how we operated. That's um, not how what, what the <clears throat> what the philosophy of our organization was. Um, and obviously, this is this was completely. It, it wouldn't be Navalny if he did that. Uh, so he 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 practices what he preaches, and he if he um, says um, things about um, courage, about bravery, about standing up to his words, he he's going to do that. So. Um, the, the question of him um, staying um, in Europe was never there, and um, maybe a small clarification just for just 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 to make the situation a little bit more clear. Um, it wasn't as obvious that uh, he would be imprisoned uh, indefinitely, like back then. And um, it's very easy now to say it, you know, in the hindsight that yes, of course he would be. But again, this was <clears throat> this was pre-war Russia. This was um, there, there were different options, scenarios, and possibilities of what can happen to him at one return. And of course, we uh, had hope that uh, Vladimir Putin wouldn't dare to embarrass himself yet another time and and arrest and imprison Navalny upon his arrival. There were very many options. We prepared for every scenario including the one that has happened. We are running our organization without Navalny. We're running it successfully. Uh, we are, we have moved our operation uh, from Russia um, soon after Navalny was imprisoned because the Anti-Corruption Foundation was designated the status of a terrorist organization. So we had, uh, we had to do that. Um, so I think that um, there is not uh, much point in, in, in exploring those hypothetical scenarios of what if Navalny was now free in Europe? What if um, there was a war and there wasn't a war? It's, it is what it is. He's currently, he, he is currently in a Russian prison and all we need to focus on is to how to get him out as quickly as possible. Thank you. Odessa, we're down to our last minute or two here. Um, I want to ask one other question from our audience, which is, you know, where would you say Navalny gets his strength from? You, you followed him around for two years for this film. How would you answer that question? Well, I actually only followed with him um, from the period of him coming out of the coma until January 17th, when he boarded the plane back to Russia. So 
um, it was about uh, four months, uh, give or take. Um, um, and I have to say, as I said in, I think the first thing I said was that his strength is something that comes from within. Uh, Navalny is someone who is filled with optimism almost. He's filled with hope. And I think it's hope really that keeps him alive and keeps him going hope for a better future, hope and action together that he uh, believes in. Um, and he said to me once before he went back, because I as well was asking him, you know, why are you going back? We were all concerned, of course. And he was like, I'm a Russian politician. I belong in Russia. At that point, the precedent had been set that he becomes irrelevant outside of Russia. The war had not started yet. And he was filled with hope and purpose. And I think those are two very, very, very important things to be filled with that strength by hope and purpose. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Um, Maria and Odessa, thank you so much for, for joining me today. This was, this was terrific. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.